and welcome to the podcast that helps you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Welcome to season number one, episode number six of Mission Focused Men for Christ. This episode is entitled Better Understanding Our Mission Because We Better Understand Our Master. This is the sixth episode of a series that explains the purpose of the Mission Focused Men for Christ podcast. We've been examining the title of the podcast word by word. We saw that Christ has set us on a great mission and that no Christian man wants to fail in the mission assigned to him by Christ. We looked at the importance of staying focused on that mission. Otherwise, how can we accomplish it? We examined the unique mission of men intentionally created to be different from women and called to be providers, protectors, pursuers of their wives, and powerful support for others. Last week, we found motivation to stay locked on our mission by remembering who our mission is for. It is our creator, our designer, our master, our king, and our redeemer who personally calls us to our mission and whose name is more highly magnified the better we accomplish that mission. Today, we consider the important fact that the one assigning us our mission is Christ and how that name Christ enlightens us about the nature of our mission as Christ followers. One might think the word Christ is Jesus' last name, Jesus Christ, but Jesus' last name would have been Bar-Joseph, Jesus the son of Joseph. Rather, Christ is a title like Emperor Nirhito of Japan, Premier Netanyahu of Israel, or President Trump. It refers to the office held by Jesus, or in his case, we might say offices, plural. Christ comes from Christos, a Greek word that means the anointed one. The Hebrew word meaning the same thing is Mashiach, or as we know it, Messiah. The anointing process in Israel was used to set apart a man to the office of prophet, priest, or king. The anointed one, that is the promised Messiah, would be the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, filling all three offices himself. So when we or the New Testament writers call our Lord Christ, we refer to Christ's role as prophet, priest, and king. This episode digs into a biblical understanding of Jesus' work in fulfilling the office of prophet and in fulfilling the office of priest. The next episode, December 22nd, will examine the way Christ fills the office of king. So Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, fills the office of prophet. What does this mean? The Greek word for prophet is prophetes, which means to speak forth the mind of God. It is from pro, which means forth, plus feme, which is to speak, or feme. In both the Old and New Testaments, the prophet was understood to be the mouthpiece of God. Jesus is the ultimate mouthpiece of God, the ultimate prophet, as the one revealing to us God's word. The author of Hebrews makes this point. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. 
And why is Jesus' role as a prophet important in understanding my mission? Because one of the results of the fall is a darkened understanding. Our sinful nature causes all human beings to suppress the truths that they don't want to hear. Scripture says in Romans 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Or in Ephesians, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And then Proverbs fourteen twelve, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Because sin has darkened our minds, a regular part of our mission is to give the Holy Spirit the tool to reprogram our thinking, spending time in the Word of God. In the words of the psalmist, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Secondly, the prophet was not only the mouthpiece of God, he was the prosecuting attorney for God against God's people when they broke their covenant with him. When God revealed his law to Moses, God went to great lengths to convince his people that the moral law was the path to blessing, not to restricting their happiness. Listen to the words in Deuteronomy 28, which summarize both blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience to the covenant sanctions. Moses says, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. And this continues for many, many verses. But then the curses for disobedience. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. And the heavens over your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed." 
to prophesy is often thought of primarily as revealing the future, and it's true that Old Testament prophets at times had supernatural knowledge from God about the future. But their negative predictions about the future were because they were God's prosecuting attorneys. God's covenantal laws had been broken, and God had already spelled out in the covenant sanctions, some of which we've read, what the punishments would be for breaking the covenant. For example, the prophet Elijah told Ahaz that there would be no rain in the land. But Elijah also knew that drought was a punishment for worshiping false gods. As soon as the people repented and came back to the worship of Yahweh, Elijah prayed for the rain to return, which it did. The point is that a prophet today, especially since the Bible has been completed, is not one who tells us what the future will be, but one who warns us of the harmful consequences of sin. Christ, as prophet, lays bare the human heart, convicting us of our sins so that we, with the help of the Holy Spirit, turn away from the cancer of sin that rots the moral fabric of our lives. As prophet, Christ's role is to make us holy. And holiness is always the path to health, wholeness, and life. As A.W. Tozer writes in his excellent book, The Knowledge of the Holy, God is holy and has made holiness the moral condition necessary to the health of his universe. Sin's temporary presence in this world only accents this. Whatever is holy is healthy. Evil is a moral sickness that must end ultimately in death. The formation of the language itself suggests this, the English word holy deriving from the Anglo-Saxon halig, or hal, meaning well or whole. As prophet, Christ's job is to make us holy, restoring us to moral health through the process called sanctification. The second part of this podcast's three-part understanding of our mission is based on Christ's role as prophet. We state it this way, we are called to be like Christ, to holy, Christ-like attitudes. At times, Bible-believing Christians misunderstand grace. Since it is by grace alone, through faith alone, that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and not our own works, it's thought that seeking to be righteous is de-emphasized in the New Testament and that a focus on the moral law is legalistic. But as Gabriel made clear to Joseph, the Christ child was to be named Jesus, which means salvation is from Yahweh, because, quote, he will save his people from their sins. From the beginning, such salvation was never merely freedom from the penalty of their sins. It was freedom from the power and presence as well as the penalty of their sins. The fact is that Jesus, who was full of grace as well as truth, taught in the Sermon on the Mount that true holiness goes way beyond outward compliance to the letter of the law. The Sixth Commandment, for example, uh, said Jesus, not only prohibits murder, but verbally assaulting another, wounding his self-esteem. Unless his grace be misunderstood, Jesus said explicitly, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Christ's work in filling the office of prophet is to make us holy. What about Christ as priest? We've seen that the prophet speaks for God to the people about how they've broken his law. The priest speaks for the people to God about how they've broken his law. Christ is the great high priest provided by the God of all grace to advocate for our forgiveness on the basis of his own shed blood. He is the ultimate Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is the work of Christ filling the office of priest that enables us to have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, a relationship so close that we can call him Daddy, which is how Abba Father really is translated. We read of this in the book of Hebrews, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. With a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, let us draw near. The most holy place in the temple was always associated with the very presence of God and was separated from the holy place where the sacrifices were offered. By a thick curtain, which was torn open on the day of Christ's crucifixion, by the way, no one dared enter the holy of holies, or the most holy place it's also called, lest he die, except one man once per year after he had offered sacrifices for his sins and those of the people. And that, of course, was the high priest. Christ's atoning work tears down the wall, the barrier to the presence of God made by our sin. The whole plan of salvation was to tear down that wall, to enable us back into the presence of the one for whom we were created and without whose unconditional love we can never thrive. That is why on the podcast, we identify the first part of our mission as being called to Christ to enjoy a love relationship with him. This part of our mission is articulated by the author to the Hebrews in the fourth chapter in these words, again, stressing that let us enter his presence. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need." In these verses, we are not only commanded to draw near to God, we are given at least four reasons to do so. First, the one we draw near to is full of sympathy for us. Sympathy is a natural attraction between two persons who have felt the same emotions 
The one thing a human being most needs to open up his heart to another is understanding. This text tells me not only that Jesus understands me, but that his heart is drawn to me in whatever emotion I am feeling because he experienced these emotions as well. But you might say, much of what I feel is shame for the ways that I've disappointed him and chosen sin over loving him. But Jesus even understands these feelings of guilt and shame. Here's why. Because even though he never sinned, he was made to be sin for us. He took our sin and guilt upon himself so he knows what shame and guilt feel like. As you come into Jesus' presence, no matter what emotion you are feeling, even guilt and shame, that emotion resonates in the heart of Jesus and makes him want to reach out to you. Wow. Wow. Number two, the throne on which Jesus is seated as you approach him is not labeled the throne of perfection, the throne of disgust over your repugnant sin, or the throne of righteousness. It is not the throne where justice is meted out, but where unmerited favor is granted to those who profess their need for such grace. Number three, in the presence of our high priest, we not only find a heart of sympathy, we also find a heart of mercy. Showing mercy is not only to grant forgiveness, but to be full of compassion for the misery that our sin brings into our lives. Not only does Jesus cover our guilt with his righteousness, he comforts us in the pain that our rebellion against him has brought upon us. He does not abandon us when we experience the painful consequences of our sin. Now, he loves us too much to remove those consequences, but he walks with us along the path of restoration. Number four, in the presence of our high priest, we find grace to help us in our time of need. Grace is not only unmerited favor, it is positive energy at work in us, helping us by the Holy Spirit to overcome our sinful nature and honor Christ with our lives. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. It is by abiding in Christ the vine that spiritual fruit is born. So to summarize, we saw that Jesus' title Christ refers to the three offices that Christ fills, the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. As prophet, he empowers us for the second part of our mission. We are called to be like Christ, to holy, Christ-like attitudes. As priest, his work enables us to achieve the first part of our mission. We are called to Christ, to enjoy a loved relationship with him. The Hebrews 4 text we examined urges us to pursue this first part of our mission, drawing near to Christ. Because Jesus is drawn to us in sympathy and compassion. And it reminds us that those invited into his throne room are not those looking for rewards for their obedience, but those looking for grace for their weaknesses. 
In our next episode, December 22nd, we will examine how understanding Christ's messianic kingship is foundational for understanding our mission. For further information about our ministry, go to forgingbonds.org. And if this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission to honor Christ with their lives. 